Wow, uh, what a privilege to be part of this day. This should be a happy occasion. I've been crying all morning long. <laughs> uh, I look up and see different people and uh, recall things we've been through together or uh, some of you, by God's grace, coming to know Christ as Savior and uh, just what God has done. I also have all this nostalgia, just memories that flood me. Uh, I'm dealing with this cough, so I apologize in advance. <clears throat> I went outside uh, to, to you know, try to uh, improve my speaking voice and, and hack some things out. And I looked over, and there's a shed out on this side of the property. And I just laughed because I remember, I, I don't know if I was with Joe or Jared, uh, or Johnny, but I'm with somebody out there, and we're cleaning out this shed. And when we opened the door, there was this huge beehive. And uh, all of these bees are buzzing at us, and I'm kind of dodging and trying to be brave. But my phone was set on vibrate, and it was in my front pocket. So as I'm dodging bees, my phone starts to vibrate, and I thought there were bees in my pants. <laughs> and just about panicked. Uh, there's just so many fun things that the Lord's done over the years, but also very profound things, and it's a great pleasure to be back. God has done great things here for the last 25 years. Amen? Uh, the Lord alone deserves glory. Uh, Psalm 115:1, not unto us, but unto your name be glory. Uh, I want to sing together the doxology. You know the doxology? You probably don't need the words. Let's just give glory to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The word doxology means that we are singing or speaking of the glory of God. Uh, the Reformers, Martin Luther and those who followed around 500 years ago, would talk about the five solas of the Reformation, uh, that, that we have sola scriptura. We believe only the Bible, not tradition, not popes, not councils. We believe the scriptures. Uh, we have sola fide, or, or only faith saves. Uh, sola gratia, only grace, not works. Solus Christus, that we don't need Christ plus, we just need Jesus. And the final of them is soli deo gloria. Only to God be glory. If God's the one that does all of the work in salvation, then only God gets glory for it. You and I contribute only sin to the salvation equation. And then God in his mercy uh, has sought us and he allows us to hear the truth and he opens our eyes and he draws us to himself. He gives us the gift of faith and repentance. He gives us new life. He saves us without any help. And only he deserves glory for that. Well, as we consider 25 years of ministry here in Madison uh, for this local church, only God deserves 
the glory for that. You know, what is it that God is doing in the world today? And, you know, there's probably many answers to that. But really what God is doing in the world today is primarily he's building his church. Uh, The church is the place where God is showing his wisdom. He's showing his power. He's showing his grace. Uh, I mentioned this morning, I love quoting Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will try to prevail against it. You know, there's, there's controversy, there's conflict, there's challenges. But Christ said he would build his church. And for 25 years, we prayed that he would build it here in Madison. And for his glory, he has done so. Christ is building his church. The shape of Christianity in the world is not an individual Uh, The shape of Christianity in the world is not a parachurch organization. Uh, I'm grateful for Christian colleges, for seminaries, for for mission boards like I work for. I'm grateful for uh, maybe a focus on the family or radio ministries or other things. But but the shape of Christianity, as revealed in Scripture, is a congregation. Christ is building his church, and he's doing it locally all over the world. The church is the centerpiece of God's work. You want proof? The Great Commission resulted in churches. Uh, Throughout the book of Acts, where the gospel went, churches stayed. The New Testament was written to local churches, almost without exception. The New Testament was written to churches, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, uh, the church in the region of Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, etc., It was written to churches. It was written about churches. The New Testament commands church involvement. And when the Bible describes what it means to be a spiritual person, a person that is controlled by the Holy Spirit, it describes it primarily in virtues that are expressed within the church, that we are are loving toward each other. We're joyful together. Uh, We have peace not only in our hearts, but peace with one another. We have have all the one another commands that we are to uh, forgive each other and we are to exhort each other and serve each other and minister to each other. That happens in the church. The New Testament paints all kinds of vivid images of the church to describe it. Uh, The church is a body, a bride, a building or temple, a, a family, a flock, an army. It is the pillar and the ground of the truth and so on. The church is what God is doing in the world through the power of the gospel. I thank God for the church. As imperfect as it is, all right, we're not yet the church triumphant, you know, that the church has problems. But I thank God for the church. He could have saved us and left us on our own, but he connected us to one another in the local church. The gospel that brings us peace with God also brings us peace with other people, and we are united in the church. We've been given under-shepherds that care for our souls, that watch for us, that teach us, that sometimes correct us. Yes, the, the chief shepherd is Jesus. You know, Make no mistake, your help is not in uh, your pastors, your help is in Christ. But you have faithful pastors, under-shepherds, who point you to Christ. Uh, Years ago, 
uh, there was a typo in, uh, in the slide that we were singing from. We were supposed to be singing in Christ alone, and we ended up singing in Chris alone. In Chris alone, my hope is found. That is bad for you. All right. The answer is not in us. The answer is in Christ. Thank God for his work through the church. Thank God for fellow members to whom we can be a mutual blessing, who, who give us accountability partners and prayer warriors and burden bearers and rescuers and restorers. Thank God for the church. John Bunyan, in his uh, classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress, talks about the church. And there's, there's a palace beautiful, is what he describes it as. The church is a palace beautiful. And one of the porters is asked by Christian, what is the purpose of the palace? And the answer is this. This house was built by the Lord of the hill, and he built it for the relief and security of pilgrims. The church is built by Jesus. The church is owned by Jesus. It it still makes me queasy when pastors say, well, my church, my deacons, you know, my team. You didn't shed your blood for the church. The church belongs to Christ. He purchased it with his blood. He says, I will build my church. And we rejoice uh, that for 25 years that's happened here. Well, if that's what God is doing, then why is God doing it? Why is God building the church? You know, what's, what's the end game? Uh, yeah, it helps us. It's for our comfort. It's for our growth. But what's really the end purpose for the church? And the simple answer from Scripture is for his glory. The simple answer is doxology. God is working in the church, through the church, for his glory. I want to turn today to our text in Ephesians 3 familiar passage of scripture in Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul has spent three chapters unpacking the unsearchable riches of Christ, the the blessings of the gospel uh, from election or predestination or uh, forgiveness to adoption. He keeps talking about facets of the gospel message. And for three chapters, we have a description of how God has taken dead sinners who are under the power of Satan, who are slaves to their own passions. And then we have, but God, in Ephesians 2.4, but God has intervened and through the gospel he brings us to salvation. But why is he doing all that? Why is he unfolding the power of the gospel? Why is he uniting people? And and not only people that are of the same culture or the same ethnicity. Ephesians 2, after describing our individual salvation, it says, from Ephesians 2.11 and following, that God is making the church out of diverse people. Jew and Gentile come together in the church. And it's something only God could do. Why is he doing it? And Paul explodes into song at the end of Ephesians 3. He offers a prayer that the church would grow in their knowledge of the love of God, that we would grow in our Christ-likeness and virtue. But then he ends his prayer with Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. This is a doxology, a a word of praise to God, and it's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. Ephesians 3, 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
to him, to that God, be glory in the church. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Privileged to preach Tri-County's 25th anniversary. Um, considering, you know, what, what would be the right text? Uh, where in Scripture can we go to rejoice at what God has done? And a lot of places we could land, but Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 is pretty good. We say, to God who does exceeding abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or even imagine, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's give glory to God today. I want to start with this first lesson. Number one is that God is able to do the unimaginable. God is able to do what we can't even conceive of. He's able to do the unimaginable. So as a result of that truth, we should pray big. You know, we, we, should, we should be audacious in the requests that we make. God is able to do the unimaginable. We see that at the beginning of verse 20. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. You kind of notice the superlatives. And uh, in Greek, they're just kind of layered on top of each other. Let's walk through it this way. God can do what we ask of him. That's true. God can do what we ask of him. Uh, Scripture says nothing is too hard for the Lord. And that statement makes me smile because, honestly, nothing is hard for the Lord. You know, he, he doesn't do something and he says, well, give me a minute. That was a lot. No, nothing is challenging for him. God can do anything we ask of him. But the passage says more than that. God can do more than we ask of him. He can't just do what we ask. He can do more than we ask. In fact, God can do more even than we can imagine. He can do more than we ask or can even imagine. In fact, God can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. In fact, God can do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine. I mean, this passage is just kind of God flexing. Paul says, God is so much greater than we even understand. His power is infinite. And we get to see glimpses of it. But, but if, we, if we were to see the immensity of God's power and greatness, it, it would blow our minds. God is so great. He is able. Remember as a child singing the kids' song, you know, he's able, he's able, I know he's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Yeah, he's, he's more than able. It's a song from the 80s that's always been a blessing to me, also called He is Able. Don't imagine most of you know it, but if you know it, you can sing along or hum or just watch me as though I'm in a musical, start singing out of the blue. <laughs> he is able, more than able. To accomplish what concerns me today, 
He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. He is able, more than able, to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. Now unto him who is able, not only to do what we ask, not only to do what we can imagine, but to do exceeding abundantly more than all of that. God is able to do the unimaginable. And so we pray big. Where did that come from? Well, actually the statement that God can do better than we can ask or imagine comes at the end of a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer in, in Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. I want to read it, and I can't unpack it. It's so loaded with truth. But we can at least review it for a moment. Here's, here's how we pray. My burden is that when we tend to pray for other Christians, when we tend to pray for our church, uh, we pray for health needs, and we should. We pray for financial needs, and we should. But to pray big doesn't mean to pray for uh, more money or better health. To pray big means pray for more important requests than just the, the temporarily urgent. Listen to this prayer. This is a big prayer. Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Pray that for your church. God, I pray that they will be strengthened with power from the Spirit of God on the inside. I also pray for their outside, you know, heal their diseases, and and I pray that, you know, Chris won't keep coughing, but pray for my inner person to be strengthened by the Spirit of God. That's what it means to pray big. He goes on and he prays, so that Christ, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ isn't just just a guest, but he's the permanent resident. He's, He's ruling you. He's running your life so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. That's a prayer request. You want to improve your prayer life? Open your Bible to Ephesians 3 and plagiarize. Just just pray with your eyes open. Pray that for Tri-County Bible Church. uh, That we will experience the fullness of God. That that His virtues will be lived out through us. And it's, it's kind of ironic. He says, I'm praying that you will come to know the love of God, which is beyond knowledge. Wait, wait, Paul, what do you mean? You're praying that we'll come to know it, but you're saying it's unknowable. And he does that several times, actually, in the passage. Uh, Look at Ephesians 3.8. In Ephesians 3.8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. For three chapters, he has been 
encouraging us to search out the unsearchable riches. All right, so, so we're searching to understand the gospel, but we're never going to master it. You know, it, it's bigger than our brains can handle. Try, but search out the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then we're, we're, we're prayed for that we will come to know the unknowable love of God. And then, then we are told that we are to ask for God to do works in his unimaginable power. Again and again, three times in a row, it says God's capacity is bigger than we can even fathom. But I'm praying for you to understand it. You think of it this way. When we come to understand the wisdom of God, the love of God, the power of God, we'll not comprehend it. I, I don't think we will comprehend it even in heaven. I think God's continuing education project is going to continue even into heaven. You'll be like the Lord because you'll see him as he is, but you still won't fully fathom him because, because he still is infinitely awesome. You're going to spend the rest of eternity learning about his wisdom and his love and his power. So you'll never master it, but you should try. All right, here, here's the picture. We're going to go to the ocean with a bucket, and we're going to start bailing. And you know, you're not getting anywhere. But we spend the rest of eternity bailing with the bucket, and God's character is so immense, we never reach the bottom. Now, heaven's going to be amazing, by the way. We're not just playing harps and singing. I hope we have wings. That would be cool. But <laughs> heaven's going to be amazing. You know, we're, we're enjoying our creative nature. I think we're working, we're exploring, we're discovering, but we keep learning more and more of the immeasurable greatness of God. He's the one who's able to do so much. I love how it says, again, back in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, wow, that's surprising. If, if I were going to talk about God's cosmic power, I would say the power of creation. The power that, that spoke the stars into existence. And we, we can't find the end of the stars even with our you know, mega telescopes. God is that great, but Paul doesn't say you'll come to know that. Or I, I might have said the power that raised Jesus from the dead, you know, I'm praying that you'll come to know that power or, or you'll appreciate that power. He says, I'm talking about the power that's at work in you. And the amazing thing is the power of creation is the power at work in us. The power of the resurrection is the power at work within us. It's a staggering statement. God's omnipotence is at work in the church. Okay, Christianity is a miracle. It's a miracle. And I don't mean, you know, that, that we're always healing the blind or, or raising the dead. I just mean what happens in our hearts is a miracle. The power of the gospel is amazing. We have the power at work within us. God is able to do unimaginable things. So we pray big, 
And, you know, this kind of makes me laugh because he says more than you can ask for. I can ask for a lot. Audacity is my spiritual gift. I'll ask anybody for anything. And then he says, even more than we can imagine. Wait, I can imagine a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a creative type. I'm a, I'm a visionary. I, I have a ton of ideas. He says, no, it's nothing. God is able to do far more than you ask for, far more than you could ever think. So I say pray big for Tri-County Bible Church, but also pray in pencil. Because God's answers will exceed your request. When I, when I pray, I often, I usually will end my prayer this way. I pray for specific needs, and then at the end I say, Now, Lord, please improve on this request when you answer it. All right, don't limit your answer to the stupid things I just said. Do far more abundantly than I've asked. Yeah, you're the one that's all wise. If I ask for the wrong things, just, you know, just fix my prayer. God is, God is like the great, you know, omnipotent Rumpelstiltskin of heaven. You know Rumpelstiltskin? He would take straw and turn it to gold. God takes the straw of my prayers and he turns them into exactly the right re- request. The Spirit uh, takes my groans and translates them. And then God, God outperforms my request when he answers. God is able to do unimaginable things. So praise him. Secondly, God is glorified through his church. So worship him. This God who can do anything, what he's choosing to do, and this is mind-blowing, what he's choosing to do with all of his great power is work in us. You feel like, you know, God, you, you could do a lot more impressive things than this. But God is choosing to do his work in us. He is glorified in the church. So the text continues after describing how great he is. It says, to him be glory in the church. Why is God doing what he's doing? Why is God working with a bunch of frustrating, rebellious sinners like us? He's doing it for his glory. Ephesians 1, 6 says God chose us and accepted us as his children for his glory. Ephesians 1.12 says God predestined us and has given us a lavish inheritance for his glory, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Why is God saving people like us? So it'll be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1.14 says God has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our coming inheritance, and he's done it for the praise of his glory. God does what he does for his glory. God is glorified through his church. Ephesians 3, uh, before the passage that we read, Ephesians 3 talks about God's glory being on display. We often use the phrase that the Tri-County Bible Church is a trophy of God's grace. All of you who have come out of the darkness into the light through the gospel of Jesus, you're trophies of God's grace. And we, we see that explained in Ephesians 3, 9 through 11, and it's kind of a weird text. Ephesians 3, 9, Paul had just said that I'm preaching to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now notice verse 9. 
He says, it's my privilege to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What? God saving us and uniting Jew and Gentile in the church is showing his power not just to the church and not even just to the unsaved world. He's showing his power to the angels. It surprises me. But the angels, the angels who have seen his working throughout history are learning more about his great wisdom when they see him working in us. I picture some unnamed angel yelling across heaven, Michael, Gabriel, you've got to see this. Those rebellious humans, God is saving them. God is changing them. And, and here's the thing, he's not just saving Jews, he's saving Jews and Gentiles. I know they hate each other, but he's making peace. And he's uniting the rich and the poor. And he's uniting white people and black people. He's uniting young and old. And he's bringing them to love each other in the church. And even the angels are amazed. Because only the gospel can do that. There was a time when I felt like the church was behind the world when it came to like um, ethnic harmony. You know, we have the social rights movement in America, and the world is not prejudiced, but the church has a lot of prejudice. The church does have a lot of prejudice. I live in Atlanta, okay? It's not fixed. And, and to say that, that, you know, we deal with prejudice in our country and even in churches, that's not woke, that's just fact. And I've always thought, man, the, the world was ahead, and then for the last five years you've seen actually the world is not ahead. The world has kind of papered over problems, and it seemed like they had them resolved. And there's more racial tension in our country now than any time in my lifetime because politics can't solve it. The only thing that can really solve those kind of societal problems is the gospel. The gospel that unites us to God unites Jews and Gentiles. The gospel that unites us to God unites white people and black people. And we come to realize we're the same. We're the same. Because we've been created in the image of God, we're the same in our sinfulness, but we're the same through salvation. We've been made a family. So if I see, if I see a black man that has a very different experience in life than me, but he's a Christian, that's my guy. If I see a bunch of others slightly overweight, okay, very overweight, uh, middle-aged white people that don't know Jesus, they're not my people. The gospel brings us together. And all of it is for the praise of Jesus' glory. It was so hard to leave here. And uh, the Lord has worked and we see his providence. And uh, I've grown and my family's grown. He's, he's used us. But it's, there, there have been some really hard times. Um, there, there have been hard times in the church, times where I actually started wondering, God, are you, are you sure that the church is the best way to show your power and wisdom? 
have you met these people? <laughs> Sheep bite and kick. And the, the church can be messy. And part of me just says, is this really the best idea? Is there a plan B? When I was at Tri-County Bible Church, and I say this with, with seriousness, but when I was at Tri-County Bible Church, I wrote a hymn text called, I Love the Church. And probably for the last five years, I, I wouldn't have written that hymn because I just, church is rough. But the answer is, yes, actually, God didn't make a mistake. He is showing his grace and his wisdom and his power and his mercy and his triumph. He's doing it through the church. Flawed. You know, there, there's conflict, there's challenges, but we are the people of God. We're, we're, not just, we're not just a club. We're not just a community. We're not a small business we're not a support group. We are the church of God brought to life through his spirit, forgiven of our sins through his blood, bought as his possession. And yes, we might be a body, but he's the head. We might be a flock, but he's the shepherd. We're a building, but he is the foundation and the owner and the builder God is showing His glory through the church. So to Him who is able to do far abundantly beyond what we could ask or think, to Him be glory in the church. Then he goes on, he says, To Him be glory not only in the church, but verse 21, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And those two things are different but they're so connected. Again, if, if the body brings him glory, then the head does much more so. If the army brings him glory, then the captain much more so. God is glorified through his church and through his son, through our Savior. You read the Gospel of John, and so many times Jesus says, I came to glorify the Father. And then he says, the Father glorifies me. And there is this glory sharing in the Trinity. And now as a church, we get to participate in it by making much of Christ. We can never make too much of Christ. It's actually impossible. I've heard some people say, oh, this talk about the gospel. You know, that's, that's a good beginning to the Christian faith, but you've got to move on to deeper things. You never move on to deeper things from the gospel. You move deeper into the gospel. But the gospel is the milk of the word and the gospel is the meat of the word. You know, Hebrews is the book that tells us we should be eating meat. And Hebrews is all about unpacking the richness of the gospel. We never get over Jesus. You know, I used to think passages like John 14, 6, who said that nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. I thought that was merely a salvation text. No, it's, it's the text of the Christian life. I come to God through Jesus today. When I pray in his name, I, I come to him in spite of me. I say, I, I have no right to come except that your son has given me his righteousness. I pray in his name with his authority, with his privilege. We can't make too much of Jesus. The Christian life is not advanced in by, by rules and effort and gritting your teeth and pulling up uh, yourself up by your bootstraps. The Christian life 
is advanced in as we come to love and obey Jesus more. God is glorified through his church. God is glorified through his son, and so we fixate on Jesus. There's so many hymns that describe that. Uh, but I love, the, I love the refrain to all I have is Christ. That's all we have. So loose Christus. All we have and all we need is Christ. He meets all of our needs and he brings God glory and God glorifies him. God is glorified through his son and our savior, the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Last thing. God will be glorified forever. So keep going. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Throughout all generations. You kind of have a description of time, generation to generation, and then you have a description of eternity forever and ever. And it's not only that God will be glorified through it, but on this special day, I want us to realize Tri-County Bible Church is part of an ongoing God-glorifying work that sweeps through history. We didn't start this 25 years ago. I mean, we're pretty late to the game. God has been being glorified through the church from the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And we just get to lend our voices to it. We get to join this. So yeah, we're 25 years in, but what God began at Pentecost continues at Tri-County. What God did through Peter and James and John continues at Tri-County. What he did through Augustine and Athanasius and Chrysostom continues at Tri-County. What he did through Luther, Calvin, Bunyan, Edwards, the Wesleys, Whitfield, it continues at Tri-County. What God did to bring himself glory through the church, through Spurgeon and Ryle, through missionaries like William Carey and Hudson Taylor and Mary Slessor, what God has been doing through the ages continues at Tri-County. And you know, most of us won't be remembered by name like some of these luminaries. But we are part of God's ongoing work generation to generation through eternity and, and we get to participate in it. You know, it's like the baton is passed to us. The baton that's been going around the track for almost 2,000 years is passed to Tri-County Bible Church, and we give everything we have, and then we're going to pass it to the next generation, and it's going to keep on going, not just till we die, but it's going to keep on going forever and ever. John Piper talking about the eternal glory of God in this text says, you know, we, we have these, these human heroes. Alexander the Great had a moment of glory. Michael Jackson had a moment of glory. You know, fill in some other singer, some other athlete, some, some other business tycoon. They all have moments of glory. But 
but they are like a shooting star. You know, just a meteor that just fires across the heavens for a moment. But the glory of God is like the sun. It's not going anywhere. It's not lessening. It's not wearing out. God will be glorified through all ages, forever and ever. And we get to be part of that in the church. We should be astonished by what God has done through his grace. We're astonished. We're amazed. I'll tell you from my perspective, remembering the early days of Tri-County Bible Church, I'm amazed. This is the goodness of God. And it's not us, it's him. He did it. I'm amazed by what he's done. But we're not only astonished by his grace, we are ambitious for his glory. So even as we serve him for 25 years, God says, I can do more. I want to accomplish more. God, thank you for saving people. Praise, praise God, but I can do more. Thank you for drawing Christians to a place where they'll grow and learn and serve. I can do more. Some of you have met my nephew, Jonathan. Johnny he has Down syndrome. And uh, I think he's 25. The best. I mean, he's the best guy. But early on, you know, he's having open heart surgeries and it's, you know, just difficulties. And just living through his first year was, you know, something that we needed God to work. I remember when he was three or four years old, we went on vacation. And uh, we were by this, this kind of recreational park that had this super slide. You remember the ones that they have like three hills and you sit on a burlap sack thing. And he's looking up at that. And I'm holding him. I said, uh, hey, Johnny, do you want to ride that? And, and he, you know, he's pretty nervous, but he kind of says, yep. I asked mom and dad, they say, hey, you know, good luck. Um, so I'm walking up with him. And at first he's holding my hand. We're walking up the stairs. And after, you know, we get to the first bend in the stairs and he's seeing more, he, he stops walking. So I pick him up. And the higher we go, the tighter he's holding onto my neck. Eventually we get seated on the burlap sack. And he is stiff. Yeah, I'm not sure he's breathing. He's just like, and, you know, I say, like, are you sure you want to do this? And the best he can do is like, uh, you know. So I say, okay, let's count. I do one, two, three. I push off, and we go, foo, foo, foo. We get to the bottom. Our entire family is there watching, and they're hysterically laughing because his eyes were the size of plates. You know, he was absolutely terrified. And as we finished, he relaxed a little bit. I'm waiting for a scream, a yell, and he starts going like this. They had taught him sign language. This is the sign for, for more. Hey, that was cool, but I want more. God has been working for 25 years. All glory to him. But he wants more he's able to do more than we've asked or could imagine he wants to see more people saved he wants to see more churches planted he wants to see more people discipled he wants to see the bible taught families united he wants to see missionaries deployed and he can do it through tri-county so that in five years ten years 25 more years we're still giving glory to him and will not stop until we're around the throne 
and give glory to God. What a Savior He is. If you don't know Him, you don't need a 25th anniversary feel-good service. What you need is Jesus. If you've been holding out, I'm, I'm begging you. What a great day for you to repent of your way, your ideas, your pride, your religious thoughts. Repent and turn from all that and just trust Jesus alone. Trust Jesus. He will save you and he'll change your life. And you'll be part of giving him glory forever. The first hymn I ever wrote was when I was at Tri-County Bible Church. It's called Holy Mighty Worthy. But I think my favorite verse, maybe my favorite verse of any hymn, is the last verse. Because it gives voice to the church giving glory to Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you know it. But it says, glory, 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 we, thy church, adore thee. Called by grace to bring thee praise. Trophies of thy power to save. None shall share thy glory. Not me, not Joe. All shall bow before thee, Father, Son, and Spirit, one. Glory, glory, glory. Will you sing with me, those of you who know him? Glory, 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 we thy church adore thee, called by grace to bring thee praise, Trophies of thy power to save, none shall share thy glory. All shall bow before thee, Father, Son, and Spirit, one. Glory, glory, glory. In Jesus' name, amen.